1: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
2: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
1: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
2: President Joe Biden's in the UK today, part of a seven day European trip that will culminate in a much anticipated summit with Russian President Vladimir Putin. So how's it going so far? Let's just say, good old Joe's off to a rocky start. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. What is the biggest threat to the United States right now? Probably have some ideas you put out. Another pandemic, uh, China, war with China, nuclear war of some kind non-state actors getting nuclear or biological weapons, whole bunch of things, massive cyber attacks, crippling infrastructure, and uh-uh, none of that. Our current commander in chief, when he actually decides to appear in public and mumble some nonsense, wants you to know that the biggest threat we face is, oh yes, climate change.
3: The military sat us down to let us know what the greatest threats facing America were, the greatest physical threats. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was? Global warming. Because there'll be significant population movements. Fights over land. Millions of people leaving. Population movement. Fights over land. Pretty sure that's been happening for all of
2: human history. So notice how the thesis here is both insane, but also at some level unfalsifiable or non-falsifiable. You can't prove it wrong because... Bad stuff will happen. There will be bad weather. But anyway, this is what we're dealing with now. The Commander-in-Chief of the United States Armed Forces is speaking to a room full of military, uh, military servicemen and women saying that we really got to be worried about climate change. And this is how he's launching his big tour on the global stage, going to see the G7 and our allies in the UK. Oh, how's the whole UK thing going, by the way? Not so well. You may recall that Biden referred to Boris Johnson, the UK prime minister, as the spiritual and uh, you know, psychological equivalent, something like that, of Donald Trump. So he took a shot at him. And look, I know they're politicians, they'd probably let that go. But a bigger issue was that Biden was upset as well over the Brexit process, possibly messing up some of the Northern, Northern Ireland uh, peace negotiations and talks and there was a march which is supposed to be res- reserved for very tense moments in diplomacy that was allegedly going to be given to uh, Boris Johnson's people. The White House walked this all back today, said, oh, no, that's not happening. I promise that's not happening. And uh, we don't believe them. But, I mean, I'm sure it was going to happen. But let's just skip past that for a moment here because, okay, the UK, we're still going to be friends. They're like our cousins across the pond. No big deal. What about Russia? That's a major challenge. That's a place uh, that we have to be very worried about, right? What is Joe Biden going to do when he talks to Putin? Well, here's what he said.
3: Play two. This is my first overseas trip as President of the United States. I'm heading to the G7, then to the NATO ministerial, and then to meet with Mr. Putin to let him know what I want him to know. going along the way, we're going to make it clear that the United States is back, and democracies of the world are standing together to tackle the toughest challenges and the issues that matter most to our future.: You know,
2: we're going to do the big things with the stuff and all the places, with the people. no joke. And this guy, he just says nothing. He has no ideas, he's just a vessel for the the giving of meaningless speeches written by people around him who are actually just trying to make sure that he doesn't go off script and start saying absurd things to create another mess that they're going to have to clean up. It's already been a tough week for Democrats, given how things have gone for Kamala Harris in Guatemala and Mexico. So they're hoping things stay a little bit more stage managed, if you will, with Biden traveling around Europe. But notice he says he's going to tell Putin what he wants him to know. What would that be exactly? Well, he wants him to know that we're going to stand up to the threat to democracy, the most overused phrase by Democrats in the English language right now. Everything is a threat to democracy. You believe in voter ID? That's a threat to democracy. You believe in the right to bear arms? That's a threat to democracy. You think you should have free speech rights? Threat to democracy. But anyway, here's Joe Biden telling uh, us that he's going to really stand up strong to Putin, sure he is, play it.
3: But I've been clear, the United States will respond in a robust and meaningful way when the Russian government engages in harmful activities. We've already demonstrated that. I'm going to communicate that there are consequences for violating, for violating the sovereignty of democracies in the United States, in Europe, and elsewhere.
2: Like, like what? and what exactly is he talking about here and you also had the white house press secretary today jen saki saying that it's not going to be confrontational with putin i thought putin was the biggest scariest challenge that we have in the whole world i thought that we had to be concerned about russians coming for us at any moment because they had hijacked our democracy in 2016 when trump won the election you remember all that remember all the russia 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 stuff all the time russia collusion Oh, there's gonna be severe consequences. Turns out Russia gets a pipeline, if you've seen the news recently, but not the, we don't, we don't get one here. No Keystone, no Keystone XL pipeline, but Putin gets his pipeline. That's fine. So I'm sure that he's really scared about whatever mumbling nonsense Joe Biden's gonna throw his way. But well, you know what is pretty disconcerting, what actually does have me a bit on edge? What's really happening here in America? While Joe Biden's running around playing a great leader on the world stage, you know, we're just hoping he remembers where he is. Uh, we at home have some real challenges to deal with Wall Street Journal today on inflation. Starting to feel like those Carter years all over again, folks. The U.S. economy's rebound for the pandemic is driving the biggest surge in inflation in nearly 13 years, with consumer prices rising in May by 5% from a year ago. So you've got the largest increase for the core price index since 1992. Big jumps in inflation. How could anyone say this is unexpected, this is surprising? They're spending trillions and trillions of dollars on top of the trillions already spent due to getting us through the pandemic emergency, which was made, of course, much worse than it needed to be economically by the stupid lockdowns and mandates and all the rest of it that people like Biden were demanding and now continue to enforce, although it is loosening, thankfully, across the country. Uh, We got problems here at home. You'll notice Joe Biden's out there in Europe. What's going to come of this trip? Nothing. They're going to have some press release from the State Department about blah blah blah, bilateral, multilateral. It's not going to mean anything. And Kamala Harris, is she fixing the border? No. What she found out is that Guatemala is like, yeah, uh, we're, we're not about to make this problem go away. The Guatemalan government. So sorry. What a what a mess. What a waste. It seems. People are going to have to figure it out for themselves. This team in this White House, they just. They're just not very good at this. The whole governing thing. They're good at social justice and Marxism, but they're not really good at making things better for Americans. All right, the fight against critical race theory in American schools continues with a survivor of Maoist China in uh, Virginia comparing critical race theory to the Cultural Revolution. We'll have that video for you when we come back. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to do it on your own and you didn't want to make rookie mistakes? I felt exactly the same way as you until about a year ago. I've always loved the idea of real estate investments, but I didn't want to get involved with something when I had actually no idea where I was or how I was getting going. That's when I met my friends at Done For You Real Estate. They took all of the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property, they rented it out for me right away, they managed the tenant for me, and now I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For You Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works. Again, every step of the process from picking the city, the house, getting the loan set up, getting a tenant in place, and a management company to handle the whole thing for you. Just go to doneforyoubuck.com to see what my friends at Done For You Real Estate can do for you. Okay, they know this process backwards and forwards. They'll take you through it just like they did with me. Go to doneforyoubuck.com to begin your real estate investment journey today. As the debate over critical race theory gains traction, a growing number of parents and educators across the country are speaking out against the controversial curriculum. Latest example comes from outraged parents in a Virginia County who launched a recall recall push against the school board for its stubborn support of the radical lesson plan. One mom who actually survived the cultural revolution in Maoist China compared CRT to the cultural revolution.
4: Watch. I've I've been very alarmed by what's going on in our school. You are now teaching, training our children to be social justice warriors and to loathe our country and our history. Uh, growing up in Mao's China, all this seemed very familiar. The uh, communist regime used the same critical theory to divide people. The only difference is they use class instead of race. During the Cultural Revolution, I witnessed students and teachers again, turn against each other. We were taught to denounce our heritage. The Red Guards destroyed anything that is not communist old statues, books, and anything else. The critical race theory has its roots in cultural Marxism. It should have no place
3: in our schools.
2: Join me now to discuss the shocking similarities between CRT and the communist cultural revolution in China. Former Former Deputy National Security Advisor to Vice President Dick Cheney, Steve Yates. He's also the CEO of DC International Advisory. Steve, good to see you.
5: My pleasure, good to
2: be with you, Buck. What should people know about cultural revolution in China, first off, because people will will refer to uh, struggle sessions on the right and the similarities to the, the mentality right now with cancel culture and things like that. What what was the cultural revolution in China all about under Mao?
5: Well, if they're only going to get a one-minute version, the distinguished lady who you uh, cited gives a very good one-minute introduction about why it matters and what happened. But essentially, what the you know the communism in China was a European philosophy, Marxism, uh, immigrated into China. And they meant to use that uh, philosophy as the basis to destroy all the institutions of traditional Chinese culture. Uh, they needed to do that because they didn't have legitimacy on their own. Uh, they didn't have economic performance. They didn't, they didn't have the broad appeal uh, to be able to govern. And so they had to use brute force and they used ideological warfare as a way of defeating anyone from having the ability to question much less politically challenge the fledgling communist movement in China. So they attacked religion, they attacked family, they attacked any institution between the government and the individual. Uh, And these Red Guards she referred to would be the equivalent of today's Antifa or BLM uh, protesters or rioters that want to disrupt people in their normal course of life and try to shame them for just being who they are. And uh, so that is, I think, where the clear parallels are, but the purpose of it in China was to destroy the old and impose a new China. Literally the word for China was Xinhua, New China. And that's what their news agency is called.
2: What was, what were some of the, when you say destroy the, the, the four olds, right? I mean, what were some of the actual, uh, that, that's what they used to refer to in the, in the actual revolution. Uh, what were some of the institutions, the beliefs, the figures from history that the cultural revolution in China wanted to dispense with to bring about, as you said, the new China?
5: Oh, there's feudalism there was there was uh, confucianism uh, notions of traditional family uh, these, these were all the things that a lot of people would stereotypically praise chinese culture for and most chinese people are very proud of that And you think of just a, a simple example of the destruction of this notion in china there used to be traditionally very large families And in Chinese language, there are different words for an uncle on a mother's side or a father's side, older than your father, younger than your father, very complicated. But with the one child policy in place for a couple generations, not only are the institutions gone, but there's no longer Chinese people in the mainland that can say the words because there are no relevant concepts. They've completely destroyed the idea of broad based families with aunts and uncles and cousins and all of that that's just one example religion is another and you can go down the list but it's all top down a party to the person total control no intermediary
2: this mother in virginia who said talked about escaping the maoist cultural revolution herself uh she was citing cancel culture in this country and certainly we're seeing what that means to people's careers and reputations but In Mao's China, what did it mean to become an enemy of the regime during that cultural revolution?
5: And how did they pick who were were enemies? Well, in some ways it was just random mobs that would do this and they would, as she alluded to, they would appeal to young people to spy on and turn in their relatives, their parents. And then the red mob would come and take their business, take their property, hang signs on them, Uh, sometimes stone them or beat them in the public square to death or to significant injury. Uh, I mean, this this was very very dangerous stuff, and so uh, we have had some examples of this in parts of the United States. Thank heaven it hasn't been as widespread as the Cultural Revolution was in China, but it literally brought the government and the economy and the culture of China to near death. And it was really the Nixon Kissinger outreach in 1971-72 that gave the breath of life back into the Chinese government because we thought we had a higher strategic purpose in countering the Soviet Union. But at that time, during the Cultural Revolution, China was near bankruptcy in every way, shape, or form. And it was through engagement with the West that we brought it back to life. I think it's important for everyone in this country to
2: know that this really wasn't a long time ago. Uh, I wanted you to put into context for us. I mean, uh, Xi Jinping, the leader of China, was denounced publicly by his own mother during the Cultural Revolution. His father was a target of the Cultural Revolution after having been a communist in good standing, helping uh, Mao come to power. So of course, just like with Stalin, you know, they, they, eat, they eat their own um, and, and end up destroying people that are closest to them. But here you have, I mean, the leader of China today, Steve, had to flee and I believe lived in a cave for a long period of time when he had to flee the, the Red Guards and the Cultural Revolution in China. So how does China deal with it today and and how, how do they view this? And also, what's the warning you'd want to give us here about how we could fall into such a situation?
5: Well, I think there are a couple of really important strategic points that need to be internalized. Number one, the Chinese people kind of internalized that the Cultural Revolution destroyed them and they don't want to do that again. But they see the power of these devices, uh, the Red Guard, the uh, sort of maniacal weaponized use of information and name calling and attack of institutions. And what they've done is they've exported a lot of these means and they see an ability to influence, especially the West, uh, exploiting our freedom in order to make us weaker by the same means. So what, they, what they've done is they're protecting themselves, wrapping themselves in nationalism and their flag while exporting these toxic ways to make ourselves weaker.
2: And Stephen, you know, the woman who had that soundbite. she was interviewed on Fox last night. She said that at 26 years old, she finally made it to the US where she found freedom she had never been able to enjoy before, but she's clearly concerned we're losing some of those freedoms here. What do you say to folks who hear her words and are deeply concerned about what's going on here at home?
5: Well, I beg them to listen. I mean, it's astonishing. You and I have both lived overseas and those who've experienced authoritarian authoritarian violence and political control are almost uniform in opposition to and revulsion to some of these Marxist, socialist, or other kinds of appeals that seem to be running rampant in the United States. The attacks on our culture, our history, our institutions, all of those things are things we've all seen do grave damage abroad. And the people who flood it to come here, as she said, recognize being an American here in this culture is the ultimate privilege, one that we shouldn't be ashamed of, but proud of and jealously protect.
2: Steve Yates, always good to see you, my friend. We'll talk soon.
5: My pleasure, thank you, Buck.
2: Congresswoman Ilhan Omar has been a consistent critic of Israel and U.S. foreign policy, but her latest comments have drawn a rebuke from even fellow Democrats. More on that with senior contributor to The Federalist, Ben Weingarten, when we come back. I've been telling you for a while now about online thieves who can easily steal your home's title. But you don't have to take my word for it. Take it from this thief who stole over 150 homes and was sentenced to 25 years in prison.
4: This is why you need home title lock. Not only that, you don't even own your home anymore. It's not even in your name.
2: Heard enough? Don't let this crime happen to you. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and enter code radio for 30 free days of protection. That's code radio at HomeTitleLock.com.
1: I know you oppose the court's investigation in both um, Palestine and in Afghanistan. I haven't seen any evidence in either cases that domestic courts can, uh, both can and will prosecute alleged war crimes and crimes against humanity. And I would emphasize that in Israel and Palestine, uh, this includes crimes committed by both the Israeli security forces and Hamas. In Afghanistan, it includes crimes committed by the Af- Afghan national government and the Taliban.
2: Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar equating the actions of Israel and the U.S. to those of Hamas and the Taliban, two organizations uh, that have been designated as terrorist groups. Although Omar has been a frequent critic of the U.S. and Israel, this time her comments have drawn a strong rebuke from members of her own party. In a statement, 12 of Omar's Democratic colleagues wrote, Ignoring the differences between democracies governed by the rule of law, and contemptible organizations that engage in terrorism at best discredits one's intended argument and at worst reflects deep-seated prejudice the united states and israel are imperfect and like all democracies at times deserving of critique but false equivalencies give cover to terrorist groups so are democrats getting tired of omar's act finally join me now is senior contributor at the federalist and author of american ingrate ilhan omar and the progressive Islamist takeover of the Democratic Party, Ben Weingarten. Ben, we have even got a book dealing with the subject matter here. Good to see you. Buck, it's always a
6: pleasure, thanks for having me.
2: Um, Can I just start with this, is Ilhan Omar an anti-Semite?
6: She passes with flying colors, the 3D test of anti-Semitism, which was created by Natan Sharansky, a uh, minister of parliament in Israel, Uh, famed figure there who basically said that if you delegitimize Israel, you demonize Israel, and you hold it to a double standard, a standard that you do not hold other countries to, then you qualify as an anti-Semite. And she has done each of those things throughout her career, before her career, and that her party only now, several years into her tenure as a member of the House after she had served in the Minnesota State Assembly, before state legislator, before that, and after they had caved to her blatantly anti-Semitic remarks in the past. I think it's too little too late, but I do think that the party realizes that there are limits to what the American people will take in terms of the radicalism. So it starts with Ilhan Omar and it ends with things like critical race theory at the local level and beyond. I think that they realize there are limits to what the American people will tolerate in terms of the anti-Americanism, the America-loathing, America-last view of this country.
2: Omar clarified her statement after this created a bit of a furor. She, uh, she put this out on Monday. I asked Secretary of State Ant- Antony Blinken about ongoing international criminal court investigations. To be clear, the conversation was about accountability for specific incidents regarding those ICC cases. Not a moral comparison between Hamas and the Taliban and the U.S. and Israel. I was in no way equating terrorist organizations with democratic countries with well-established judicial systems. Do you buy it? Do you think this is a an honest uh, clarification or even walk back? Or is she just trying to turn the heat down a little bit because she went a little far this time?
6: Well, some people have speculated on Twitter that Speaker Pelosi's office was the one that drafted up this statement. And uh, it, it certainly reads as if it was drafted by the establishment, not by a squad member or comms staffer. Uh, and we know this in part because the initial reaction, the initial statement from Omar's staff was, of course, to play the victim to claim that this was an Islamophobic attack on her because any criticism of Ilhan Omar is de facto bigoted, just like conservatism is bigoted, just like if you fly an American flag in the back of your car, you're a bigot, according to folks like Gay at the New York Times. Uh, So all of this runs of a piece with the progressive or bigot binary. If you dare to attack, to critique a progressive over remarks that ought to be condemned by every American, not just, you know, a a dozen Democrats and now the leadership, ultimately, when it becomes a huge, major headache for them politically. Uh, I think it's an embarrassment. It's shameful. And her initial response is her real response, which is to play the victim, but then also to use that that argument of bigotry as a cudgel to be able to go after her political adversaries. She does it time and time again, and no one should back down and cow in the face of those sort of attacks. She should be called out for the bigot and the anti-american that she is
2: you mentioned her playing the victim card or her staff whoever put the tweet out initially and this is what she did put out and uh, in response this came before uh, the clarification statement it's shameful for colleagues who call me when they need my support to now put out a statement asking for clarification and not just call the islamophobic tropes in this statement are offensive referring to what the democrats put out The constant harassment and silencing from the uh, the signers of this letter is unbearable. (laughs) I mean, break out the world's smallest violin, Ben. I'm tearing up right now.
6: Yeah, this is someone who's always on offense. She cannot dare ever take criticism and again, attacks critics as bigots. And let's not forget also, this is someone who has gone to Twitter in the past, Twitter executives, and said essentially, you need to look out for me on your platform. So you want to talk about censorship? She's talking about doing it at the ever shrinking digital public square uh, that all of us are being gulagged under increasingly. So this is is a fraud. This is a sham. uh, But it ought to be, again, recognized that this is someone who sits on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and she's never paid a price for her rhetoric nor for the policies that she's put forth, which obviously are detrimental to the country, nor the ties, as I document in my book, to Muslim Brotherhood operatives, Muslim Brotherhood tied groups, the Turkish Erdogan regime and beyond. And of course, if you applied the Donald Trump collusion standards Ilhan Omar, I mean, she'd be in jail for the rest of her life probably. That's before we get to her own personal criminal acts regarding her family, the funneling of money to her boyfriend turned husband, and the whole litany of other ridiculous stuff that characterizes Ilhan Omar's career, uh, notorious career, but unfortunately, one that Democrats continue to promote.
2: Representative Cori Bush disagrees with your assessment of Ilhan Omar. She wrote, stop attacking Ilhan Omar. Stop attacking us. I'm not surprised when Republicans attack black women for standing up for human rights. But when it's Democrats, it's especially hurtful. We're your colleagues. Talk to us directly. Enough with this anti-blackness and Islamophobia. So just to note, uh, the criticism of Ilhan Omar's Uh, description of America, Israel and Hamas and the Taliban and the comparisons thereof is not only uh, it's not only Islamophobia, but according to Cori Bush, it is also anti-blackness, Ben. I just thought you should know that.
6: Well, I'd like to see Corey Bush come to the defense of Ion Hersey Ali or Thomas Sowell or Clarence Thomas, or let's run down the list of all the other people who on the basis of identity, any attack on them should be treated as de facto racism and bigotry. No, what they really betray is that the only thing the left cares about in the end is ideology. They don't actually care about any of these identities. They use identity, again, as a cudgel against their adversaries and as a shield to protect themselves from criticism. But the reality is they only care about one thing, and that's your ideology. And if you have the wrong ideology, they'll go after you with everything they have.
2: Ben Weingarten, always good to see you, sir. Thanks for sharing your expertise. Thanks for having me, Buck. Another Trump-era media lie dispelled after Inspector General's report concludes protesters were not cleared out of Lafayette Park for a photo op for President Trump. After the break, Outkick media columnist Bobby Barak joins us to give his take on the latest developments. The infamous photo op in Lafayette Park, one of the big controversies of President Trump's final year in office, or at least that's what the media told us. Let's take a trip down memory lane, shall we? On June 1st of 2020, NPR put out a report saying peaceful protesters tear gassed a clear way for Trump church photo op. And the rest of the MSM took the bait and ran with it. New York Times wrote, protesters dispersed with tear gas so Trump could pose at church. Washington Post, inside the push to tear gas protesters ahead of a Trump photo op. And NBC News, police gas George Floyd protests despite proof it's dangerous. It's time for a ban. So here's the problem with that. They lied to you. Again. A new investigation by the Interior Department's Inspector General debunks the media's narrative that police violently cleared protesters from Lafayette Park for Trump's photo shoot. Check it out. We did not find evidence that a potential presidential
4: visit to the park or the St. John's Church influenced the park
5: police's decision-making or their deployment. Yes,
2: yeah, so is there going to be any accountability for spreading baseless information in the, uh, in the media? Misinformation, really, lies... Don't hold your breath for it. Here with reaction to all this, Outkick media columnist and reporter, Mr. Bobby Barack. Bobby,
4: good to see you. Buck, thanks for having me, man.
2: So this one goes into a list with quite a few others, but what are you sensing from the reaction here so far, given that clearly they got this one very wrong and they made a lot of noise about it?
4: but what's so fascinating about all this and all the media mistakes is this is the group that has zero tolerance for any mistakes i mean they don't provide context or willing to provide excuses for anybody if you make a mistake these vultures and the msm uh whether it's cnn new york post npr washington post they're all the same they don't give you any room if you make a mistake you're done for they're going to crush you and crucify you until there's no end but when they make a mistake whether it's the Wuhan lab which is I think their biggest issue they told us that we couldn't question the lab leak theory which seems to be plausible if not likely they told us uh Trump colluded with Russia no evidence of that but for four years uh we, we were told that was true. And now this latest one, and I just find this one so dishonest because, Buck, this report was dubious from the start. You had police officers and the patrol saying, wait a minute, we had this planned already. We were putting a fence in because just two days before, these protests got violent and people were injured. But no one was allowed to ask that. To Molly Hemingway's credit from the Federalist, she was the only one to really question this in a public effective way. But she was jumped at like some kind of QAnon conspiracy theorist saying, oh, she just sticking up for Trump. She's trying to provide a different way for someone else to not vote for Joe Biden. That wasn't true. She was doing her job. She was being a journalist asking questions, which people like George Stephanopoulos, who reported and verified this, happened to not do and got wrong once again.
2: You know, if we're going to talk about accountability, obviously we're going to be waiting a long time for that in The media. I I do want to note, though, that there are some public officials who you'd think, if they cared about facts and the truth, would have an opportunity here, Bobby, to at least correct the record and maybe even offer an apology, though we know that's not going to happen. Kamala Harris, that's right, the vice president who just made such a mess of things on her trip. This was back in June, June 1st, 2020. Donald Trump just tear gassed peaceful protesters for a photo op. Uh, it turns out that that's not true. So I think that given we've seen, Bobby, so much lecturing from the Democrats about Trump's problems with the facts, shouldn't we shouldn't we be able to expect that at least Kamala Harris? I don't know, maybe delete the tweet, add one of those little notes, you know, this tweet turned
4: out to be fake, delete it, whatever. Something. Buck, when I turned 21, I got um, some advice that someone thought would be effective saying, alcohol doesn't change you it makes you more of what you already are donald trump's presidency just made our experts our leaders our media members more of what they already are it just made it more visible which is doubtless followers dishonest people who have no accountability and think about it but just look the past 12 months whether it's the democrats journalists experts scientists like fauci doctors These are our leaders. These are our quote-unquote experts that are supposed to be providing the general public information and answers that they can't get on their own. And they're doing the exact opposite, Buck. They're not giving us answers. They're giving us lies. They're spinning us in directions we don't need to be. Are experts anything more than just people with fancy titles? Because I don't think anything Fauci Washington Post, CNN has said over the past 12 months has provided us any positive outcome. I think if anything, all this done is made what we, what they call conspiracy theorists look like actual normal thinking humans because their track record might be more accurate over the past 12 months.
2: You mentioned conspiracy theorists. I think that's a perfect place to pivot for a moment, Bobby, because those journos who were so quick to run with the tear-gassing, peaceful social justice protesters' stories, like CNN's own Jim Acosta, they're now putting out some pretty wild ideas about why the Inspector General of the Interior Department, not usually thought of as a hotbed of ultra-pro-Trump partisanship, yeah, uh, especially under a Biden administration, Here's Jim Acosta saying that, well, you know, maybe, maybe Inspector General is trying to get a job at Mar-a-Lago.
3: When I read through this report, it sounded as if this Inspector General was auditioning to become the Inspector General at Mar-a-Lago. Because, I mean, this is almost a whitewash of what occurred on June 1st.
2: I mean, was it planned before Trump did his photo op or not? That's the actual question here. Because they all said, including Jim Acosta, that this was... Trump being a fascist, ordering the tear gassing of peaceful protesters. Did that happen? Yes or no? The inspector general says no. And now Jim Acosta wants to go cry in the corner about it, or actually cry on TV, if we're going to be honest. Uh, Bobby, I mean, this is not new, but CNN is not a news network, buddy.
4: I mean, Buck, there's a lot of bad people, in the media, they're bad at their job, <laughs> dishonest, Joy Reed, Rachel Maddow, Chris Cuomo. you know, the more I think about it, is there anybody worse than Jim Acosta? Every Saturday at about 7 p.m., I check my phone, and I see DM people saying, did you see what Jim Acosta just did on his new weekend show? I mean, this guy is just awful. He spent uh, Trump's entire presidency making theater out of every question he would ask Kaylee McEnany. I just saw one a couple days ago of him saying, or yesterday, rather, um, would you guys use the tear gas again? I I mean, this guy is a grandstanding fraud. He has zero credibility. Anybody that watches this guy, what are they taking away from? Because last I heard, last I knew, people still took what they heard from the media as information and news. I mean, you, you see him rail against people like Tucker Carlson, Alex Jones, all these guys that he calls a conspiracy theorist. What's the definition of what Jim Acosta is doing? I would love to know, Buck. I don't want to see it from public dictionaries that keep on changing words and meanings. I mean, last I heard an anti-vaxxer, according to the dictionary, means someone that doesn't want the government to demand you get a vaccine. So I don't know. I don't know what you call Jim Acosta. But to me, conspiracy theorist makes a lot of sense. Bobby, good to see you. Thanks for joining. Time in. After the break, Jeffrey
2: Toobin speaking to CNN. He's returned to that network, and the results were a little awkward. We've got video and quick hits. Are you ready for the next national disaster? If we've learned one thing recently, it's that the unthinkable can happen any day. The best way to ensure you survive is to prepare now with an emergency stockpile of food from My Patriot Supply. They're America's preparedness leader giving millions peace of mind for an uncertain future. But don't wait until it's too late. Act now before there's a stock market crash, more civil unrest, a natural disaster, another pandemic. My Patriot Supply has served millions of families for over a decade, earning 39,000 four and five star reviews. Their food is specially packaged to stay fresh and delicious for 25 years. And unlike other emergency foods, each meal provides 2,000 much needed calories when you need the most. If you act now, you'll save 25% on their four week emergency food kit. Just go to preparewiththefirst.com right now to save 25% on a valuable four week kit. That's preparewiththefirst.com. Again, prepare with the first. Jeffrey Tubin returns to CNN, and hundreds of billions of dollars in unemployment benefits were stolen, reportedly, from U.S. taxpayers. Quick hits, you know it. Let's get to it. Okay, so a lot of Zoom was happening over the pandemic, a lot of uh, Microsoft Teams, Skype, you know, these different video programs, people do a lot of work with them, they have conference calls on them, and it became a a staple of pandemic life where folks were all using these to communicate with each other. Um, You got to know when they're on and when they're off, though, it's an important lesson for everyone. Something to remind yourselves of here CNN, longtime CNN analyst Jeffrey Tubin, didn't learn that lesson, didn't figure out uh, how to, to make sure he was off a Zoom call, so to speak, a video call with colleagues at The New Yorker, and he was caught, well, let's let them describe it to you at CNN because he's back today talking about it.
1: I feel like we should address um, what's happened in the months since we've seen you, since some of our Viewers may not know what has happened, so uh, I guess I'll recap. I'll do the honors.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Help yourself.
2: (laughs)
1: Okay. Um, In October, you were on a Zoom call with your colleagues from The New Yorker magazine. Everyone took a break for several minutes, during which time you were caught masturbating on camera. Uh, You were subsequently fired from that job after 27 years of working there. And you, since then, have been on leave from CNN. Do I have all that right?
2: Um, you got it all right. Sad to say. You know, he's coming back. I mean, he's not a mass murderer. Right? I, think people, I think people blew this out of proportion a little bit. I mean, it's embarrassing. It's inappropriate. It was an accident. It's not like he was purposefully doing this. I, I feel like. You know, fi- firing him really? Anyway, CNN had him on leave. He was gone for seven months or so. He said it was a really, uh, you know. Do I think that Jeffrey Tubin's the kind of guy? Would he stick up for a conservative who got caught in a similar situation? Would he? Would he even try to mitigate a little bit some of the public um, uh, outrage about this on someone? Probably not. He's not a a, a well liked or, or well respected guy across the aisle at all. Um, but you know anyway just remember folks important safety tip just make sure that zoom is off if you're having special solo happy time you know just it's important to do it's important to do otherwise your colleagues see it and it becomes a national news story axios had a report out today i just want to read this to you criminals may have stolen as much as half oh here you go half of the unemployment benefits the u.s has been pumping out over the past year according to some experts Unemployment fraud during the pandemic could easily reach 400 billion, according to some estimates, and the bulk of the money likely ended up in the hands of foreign crime syndicates, making this not just theft, but a matter of national security. Very possible here. I'm sure we're gonna find out that a stunning, a simply mind-blowing amount of taxpayer cash under the guise or under the intent, I should say, not the guys, under the intent of trying to get into people's hands to help them was misappropriated, stolen, stolen by all kinds of folks. And there have been some stories about this you've seen where someone bought a brand new Lamborghini with uh, PPP funds, or you're going to find there's a lot more of this. And it's going to be a lot of money when all said and done. And, you know, this is why everything's getting more expensive. Just the government's got the money gun going and spraying spraying that digital cash all over the place Uh, there was uh well here here we go india uh i was going to talk about hydroxychloroquine we'll talk about india first people have not received a covid vaccine in india are being forced to wear public identifiers by police a pamphlet attached to their shirts which contains a skull sign and the phrase stay away from me um this is really disheartening to see uh, that in any country, anywhere around the world, I mean, India is a very large. It's a billion-person, multi-confessional democracy. It is a natural ally of the United States in so many ways. And to see a country, a great, a great nation like India, do this to its people for a virus with a 99.8 percent or 99.9 percent survival rate, and uh, it just goes to show you what happens when people get scared and when there's fear. Fauciism spreads all over the world, and something we have to fight against. Speaking of Fauciism, remember when there was all that uh, hullabaloo about hydroxychloroquine in the earlier days of the pandemic? Some people thought it might be, if given in early stages of the illness in specific dose, in in pretty high dosages, it might be, useful along with zinc as a treatment. Now, there's a study. We don't know how good the study is, how effective the study is, but it's getting news coverage, so I wanted to cover, I wanted to put it out there on your radar. There is a new study out that says that hydroxychloroquine, which President Trump did tout as increasing the survival rate of severely ill COVID patients, this was an observational study, so it's not a gold standard study published by med RXIV found that antimalarial hydroxychloroquine along with zinc Could increase the coronavirus survival rate by as much as 200% if distributed at higher doses to patients with a severe version of the illness. We're going to follow this. We're going to see if this actually pans out. It would be good news and it would be very interesting news if it turned out to be true. But we just want to put it on your radar for now. We'll follow up with it later. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.